in a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Welcome to the CEO Raider podcast with your host, John Mayetta. Check us out online at ceorader.com. Leave an anonymous review about your company or CEO. If you like this podcast, leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Visit our techtoday.com platform. I hate saying techtoday.com. Makes me sound like I'm 88 years old. But we've got somebody else out there who is at .net. We're going to talk about a couple of our recent articles at techtoday.com this afternoon. But first, Uber. Because Uber can't stay out of the news if it tried. So there was a report that came out a couple of weeks ago that Uber was, Uber was going to sell its Southeast Asia business and maybe retain a stake. And then Fortune reported toward the end of last week that no, in fact, Uber CEO Dara Karsoshahi wants to continue to invest in Southeast Asia. And it's in fact a board member, SoftBank, who just put money into the company. SoftBank's board representative wants the company to focus on growth in the Americas and to not chase new markets. I tend to agree with him. I don't have his name in front of me. But his point of view is we're trying to go public. Let's leverage the markets that we've already built. And this is where I have a problem with Uber because I feel like Dara wants to push into new markets because that's the only story the company has. It's largely a commodity service. And therefore, to keep the ball rolling, you've got to roll out in new markets. They don't have a product that scales once you've established a, a foothold. Now, you could scale in terms of the number of riders. So if you're in Seattle, Washington, yeah, you can grow the number of, of rides in a given market, but it's not exactly the most defensible business. So that's my, you know they don't have something that's competitively differentiated that has a moat around it in terms of what's required to provide a rideshare service. You could argue their app is somewhat of a moat, but not really. Everybody has one at this point, everybody who plays in a space. And so the only growth story in town, if you're Uber and, and Lyft for that matter, I'm not picking on just Uber, is, is to roll out your service in new markets. But once you're in that market, it's awfully difficult to, to scale, as is, as the current business model is. And I'm sure Uber's board, the SoftBank member, would be thrilled if Uber would spend some time and effort on in the markets where we have a foothold or where we're the number one player, like the U.S., or if you want to look at cities as opposed to you know a, a national market, fine. What services could we roll out? Scalable services, leverageable services, high margin services, i.e. technology services. Could we layer on top of the ride share? That's where Uber should be going. So I think, you know, if there's already a rift at the board, this thing's a disaster, honestly. Dara should have stayed at Expedia. Magic Leap. Magic Leap has apparently signed a, a, a deal with the NBA. Magic Leap is the, the AR company, the augmented reality company, although they don't like to refer to themselves as such. And apparently this spring, they're going to roll out their, their first offering. You'll find limited descriptions about this first augmented reality offering because everybody who's seen it has signed an NDA and they're not allowed to talk about it. But I'll, I'll link to a, a, a podcast I, I listened to about it where Magic Leap's founder talked about the, 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 the product and the platform at a very high level. I thought that Adam Silver, commissioner of the NBA, did a better job talking about the, the product offering uh, while not, you know, violating terms of the NDA. Um, to, to, to give you a, just a, a high-level sense, because this was all that was provided, if you can imagine you're watching a game, you're in your living room, and you have the Magic Leap goggles or glasses on, you're wearing them. It's not like current VR headsets where you're sort of out of it, you're removed from reality, and all you can see is what the, the goggles are showing you. That's not what this is with Magic Leap. It's an augmented reality product, in this case, the goggles, 
where let's say if you're you're shooting in your living room you you see your living room you're able to to function in your living room you can see family members furniture this type of thing so you can walk around and go about your daily business uh but let's say if in reality in your living room you have a wall with nothing on it and you put the glasses on and all of a sudden that wall that had nothing on it has a piece of furniture so that that that's what the glasses in fact do so you can go about your day-to-day but you'll see objects people who in reality aren't there once you have the ar goggles on those objects will will render in your reality so the way the nba wants to position these things is the nba i think the number that was quoted was 80 percent of the nba fans have never attended a basketball game you know they're in places like china and so they haven't flown to the u.s to to, to visit a game as, as one use case or let's say it's somebody who lives in new york but uh, maybe you never will be able to afford uh, a front row ticket to a Knicks game. So what the NBA wants to do is, is roll out these goggles and have NBA content displayed through these goggles. So you can sit on your couch, watch a game, and certain elements of the game will render through your goggles. So you may see, you look to your left, you'll see uh, you know, your, your family member who's on your couch with you uh, for that one moment. And then all of a sudden, maybe a uh, uh, a player will render out of thin air and you'll be you know, two feet away from a player on the sideline, this type of thing. You look to your right, maybe the, the hoop will be there. So this is how they described it in, in the podcast, and I'll link to that podcast. Now on to Tech Today and the, the content that I published there just in the past couple of days. So the, the first article that I published is about uh, technologies for horsemen. So if you think about Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and the, uh, the need that these large tech companies have for people and particularly engineers. And what the article posits is that uh, if you think about public education, K through 12, private schools for that matter, and then the university systems, they don't do a great job of prepping people to students to hit the ground running day one on that job. You learn most of what you know on the job. And if these massive companies are gonna continue to grow at the rate at which they're growing, for example, the four of them in the aggregate hired almost 250,000 people, net new employees in 2017. I don't know what the actual number of total employees hired, but in terms of net new, 250,000, which was up 89% over 2016, in which the number was 131,000. So if you're going to continue to grow at that that rate and have these large numbers in terms of the absolute number of employees hired, you kind of need to alleviate the bottleneck that the K-12 and university system essentially creates. And so I think what you'll see is you'll see the large tech guys get involved they're certainly involved to some degree already at the university system. If you think about in particular tech companies and, and Stanford, I think you'll see more of that model. I think you'll see that model kind of like what we've seen in professional sports. If you think about uh, the NBA is a great example. We have kids getting recruited. You know, they're 8, 9, 10 years old, and they're recruited into AAU basketball. I think you'll see, see the large tech companies push into K-12. through And then if you think about the next bottleneck, okay, you're in the schools, and you're shaping the curriculum particularly with regards to the math and sciences. Now it's how do we do more? How do we train more kids? And so what I think you're going to see is you're going to see we have human teachers. You're going to see machine learning with an artificial intelligence wrapper start to teach some of the content to the students because an AI is not going to complain about you know salary and AI is not going to complain about A, B, C, and D. You won't have teacher union strikes, this, that, and the other. I think that's where it goes over the long term. But I think... I could foresee in 25 years, 20% of content taught in schools will be taught by an AI. If you fast forward 50, 100 years, 80% of content is going to be taught by an AI, 20% by people. And someday, 
you know, it's going to look like the, the, the stock exchanges where there, there aren't people. If you could automate the New York Stock Exchange, you can automate a classroom. That will happen. So that's one article. You can check that out. The, the title of the article is It's People, It's People, which is sort of a, uh, a call out to Soil and Green, if you know that movie. If you're uh, 40 years or younger, you probably don't know that movie. Um, the, the, the other article was about which tech CEOs represent the best value. Uh, so we dipped into the CEO rated database, looked at tech companies, and we did a, a, a query. And so what we did is we sort of sorted. We sorted all the tech companies in the database by stock price appreciation, stock return, over the period January 3rd, 2017 through Feb 23rd, 2018, so a 14-month period. And then we took the top 20 companies in terms of stock price appreciation, and then we said, okay, which CEOs were the best value, meaning if uh, company ABC generated a couple hundred points of stock price return, and if that CEO was paid X, how many dollars of compensation, of CEO compensation, were required for every percentage point of stock price appreciation that was generated? And so we sorted that list. You can see the list. Number one on the list was Jack Dorsey, who I um, uh, gave a hard time in a previous article and podcast for running two public companies, and I, I, I stand by that. I think you should only be allowed to run one public company. I don't want to see a government regulation around that, but I want to see shareholders uh, have an opinion around that and prevent that from happening. But in the case of uh, Jack at, at Square, uh, Square returned uh, 225% stock price appreciation over the period, and his total compensation is $1,503. So for approximately every $7 of compensation, the company delivered one percentage point of stock price appreciation. And so he then therefore is the best quote-unquote value of the top 20 CEOs in terms of stock price appreciation. And I won't go through the list here, but you can go through the list. We have a, a sort of a, a table that summarizes everything from stock price appreciation to CEO comp to, to uh, market value. And then what we've done is we, uh, below the table, provided a list of the CEOs, and we linked that list. So for each CEO name, we linked that to the CEO Rater database. So you can just click on the hyperlink, and then boom, the profile page in the CEO Rater platform will pop up, and you can learn more about that CEO if you're so inclined. That's all for now. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Be well.